Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gift on the cross. Thank you for the Spirit, which is another gift that you've given to us to, uh, to explain to us, teach us, uh, and, and, and nourish us, to speak to us and remind us that we are yours, identity, and to lead us into all truth, ministry. Thank you, Father God, for your presence here today and that you are going to touch people's lives. You're going to say something that actually means something and is relevant to the people in this room. Thank you, Father God. For those who are watching on camera, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless them in their homes and wherever they are right now, especially those who are in hospital. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're in the first, uh, first letter of Peter, and Peter's writing to the church, especially those people who are from the Jewish nation. They are from the Jewish nation, Jewish background, but they have given their lives to Christ, and they are following Christ. So this is the part of the church, the body of Christ, that has come from the Jewish background. Paul addresses his several Pauline epistles to the believers who have come from a Gentile background. So when you are going through the text, you need to remember that there are some things being said to the Jews, some things that come from a Jewish background, some things being said to the people coming from a Gentile background. You got that? Right? Everything just doesn't straight away apply to you. At the same time, we want to see how and what does apply and take it from there. Last week, we were in chapter uh, 1. We completed chapter 1, but I do need to re revisit chapter 1 in order to make sense of chapter 2. Why? Because it's a letter. And when you write a letter, you don't want somebody to just take two paragraphs out of context and just say, this is what he was saying. You want the whole letter to be read constantly over and over again so that there is a flow. And in order for there to be a flow, uh, we want to go back to chapter 1 just a bit, just to kind of pick up the pace over there. <clears throat> if I was to summarize my entire sermon for this morning into one sentence, it would be this. Disciples are meant to grow in maturity since they will serve as priests. Disciples are meant to grow in maturity since they will serve as priests. Nobody wants immature priests. Nobody wants immature priests. Nobody wants fake priests. Nobody wants uh, uh, weak priests, uh, immature priests. So disciples are meant to grow in maturity since they will serve as priests. All right. So that's why we want to grow. That's why we want to know the word. And the question is why? Why biblical literacy? Why go verse by verse by verse? You see the notes? It's completely scripture. And then there are lines. And then there's scripture. And then there are lines. But the way I've broken it down is how I think and how I prepare for sermons. That's what I normally do. But instead of going to the end product and just telling you what it says, so that you just believe me, I'm backing you up into the process so you actually see halfway through where the points come out from and where the thought process. So you're getting deeper into the word. So you're not growing strong from the scripture that I know. You're growing strong from the scripture you know. Never get a hallelujah, amen, nothing from this congregation. All right. <clears throat> so that's the thing. Why biblical literacy? It's not an option for believers, not an option. It's not just an added value of followers of Christ. Number one. Uh, two things. Number one is because that's how you purify yourself. Answer the question, how do I purify myself? These are the questions you're going to get answers from this in the text. Remember, I'm teaching exposi exposition. I'm not doing a motivational, inspiring speech here this morning. Right? Question number one, how do I purify my heart? You're going to get an answer from the text. Number two, what is the word of God preparing me for? We talked about priesthood. Every disciple must, be, uh, must grow, must grow strong. What are we, what is the word of God preparing us for? Okay, good. Now in order to understand chapter two, you want to back up the truck a little bit to chapter one and remember what he was saying because it's been a week. It's rained so many times. 
in this last one week. We've been all over the place. We've driven cars. We've taken autos. Uh, it's been a busy week. And lots has happened. So let's go back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls. Having purified your souls. What is the tense for having purified? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? It's past, but it was like... Is it, is it printed? Having purified... All right, now that we've agreed so emphatically on that, let me know what you decided. But having purified your souls, but how? How did you purify your soul? Question number one, by the obedience to the truth. Circle obedience, circle truth. By your obedience to the truth. How does one purify himself? By sitting on top of a, of a hill and drinking Himalayan glacier water? That's one way, that's one way. But the way you do it is by obeying, obedience to the truth, by obeying the truth. So you circle obedience and mark that going to truth. Okay. Why? Why do you want to do that? For a sincere brotherly love. A sincere brotherly love. I can have a fake brotherly love. I can have a necessary obligatory brotherly love. But for a sincere brotherly love, for genuine relationships, my heart needs to be pure. My heart needs to be pure. How do I get a pure heart? By obeying the truth. Are you getting the thing over here? So how do relationships become pure? How do relationships become sincere? What do you do when a marriage is going sour? You submit to God's word. You obey the truth. What is the truth? What is God's word saying? How do you fix a relationship, any relationship, broken relationships, in the church, in the workplace, in, in, on the field? How do you fix relationships? By going back to the truth, obeying the truth. It is never about the relationship itself. It is never about the husband and wife itself. Very rarely is it about. So when you sit down and you start trying to work it out among yourselves, you are never going to come to an answer because a pure and sincere heart comes from, answer, obeying the truth. That's between you and Jesus. That's between you and Jesus. So how does a husband fix his marriage? By getting right with Jesus. How does a wife fix her marriage? By getting right with Jesus. How do relationships between brothers and sisters, friends, family, works? You by fixing your, with Jesus. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. But where do you get that pure heart? By obedience to the word. Why? Since, since you have been born again. Since you have been born again. This changes everything. This changes everything. Since you have been born again, how have you been born again? What has been wrought in order for you to be born again? You have been born again not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed. Through the living and abiding word of God. Not perishable, but imperishable. Circle imperishable. What are we talking about? The truth of God, the word of God. Not, imperish not perishable, but imperishable through the circle living and circle abiding. So you've got three adjectives for the word of God. Number one, it's imperishable. Number two, it is living. We're going to make a point of that later. And number two, it is abiding. We're going to make a point of that later. So you've got the living word, abiding word, imperishable word, circle, all those three connected up to the truth because we're talking about the word of God. So the word of God is the truth. And the truth is the word. So obey the truth equals obey the what? Brilliant. You guys are brilliant. Step up, one step ahead. Okay? So I was born again. I was born again. What does that even mean? Well, we talked about it last week and the week before. Born again means to be born spiritually into a spiritual life, into a spiritual family. 
Now my whole perspective and understanding changes. So in order for me to understand that and, be, and live from that, I need the spiritual life flowing within me, the Word of God, the living Word of God, the imperishable Word of God, the abiding Word of God. What is the contrast to this life? I've always, I've always made the difference between this and that side, to the point where, you know, left of the pulpit is wicked, right of the pulpit is... That's heaven. Right? We always go this way, right? So that life, when you come back to this life, what is the contrast? Well, the contrast, verse 24, is all flesh. All flesh. Circle all, circle flesh. I'll tell you why separately. Circle all, circle flesh. All flesh. Because the flesh is the opposite of the spirit. Flesh is the opposite of the spiritual life. What the spiritual life wants, what the spirit wants, what the pure heart wants, is not what the flesh wants. All flesh is like, here's a little bit of an example, a bit of a metaphor. All flesh is like what? Are you sure? Is there? All flesh is like grass. What happens to grass? It withers. Say it slowly. All flesh is like grass. Flesh equals grass. Grass withers. Flesh is useless. What is the comparison he's trying to make? What's the point he's trying to make? All flesh is like grass and it's glory. And it's glory like the flower of the grass. Have you ever decorated your home with the flowers from grass? No. I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't even make it to your home. That's how fickle it is. It doesn't even make it to your home. You know, you get a lily or something, that'll last a few days. But the flower on the grass, so you've got the grass that fades and the flower that falls. That's how fickle the flesh is. He says all flesh, how much? 100%. All flesh is equivalent to grass. As long as grass withers, as quickly as grass withers, anything and everything about the flesh withers. You like her, you won't like her tomorrow. You're thin today? Nothing stays the same. Nothing stays the same. Nothing is worth it. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of the grass. You could dress up grass like you, as much as you want it. You could present the flesh in all its colors and neon lights. You could make it look great. You could put that flesh out, and I'm not just talking flesh and bone, I'm talking everything that has to do with the flesh, desires of the flesh, desires of the of, 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 uh, lust of the flesh, uh, the pride of life, you're talking about indulgences, you're talking about passions, anything that has to do with the world I live in now and my life on earth, my earthly life, my heavenly life, that side of the pulpit, anything and everything that has to do with it, you can dress it how you like, you can color it like you like, and you can present it however colorfully you like, all its glory is like the flower that falls. So all flesh is like grass, and like the flower of the grass, all its glory passes away. What a point, Pastor, why are you trying to make such a big point of this one verse? Well, the contrast of all the flesh is the truth of God. The contrast of the flesh passes away, the word of God remains forever. But the word of the Lord, verse 25, remains it's not even coded, it's right there. I didn't even have to explain, it's right there. The, fla- the, the, the flesh is like grass, grass withers, but the word of God lasts forever. Now if my life is built on the flesh, it's going to 
whether a way if my life is built on the word, it's going to, if my life is built on the flesh, it's going to be impure. If my life is built on the word, it's going to be pure, sincere relationships, pure. So all flesh is like grass, all of his glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower talks, uh, falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So you're putting the whole pyramid together. Number one, right on top, you got truth. Obedience to the truth. What truth? It is imperishable, it is living, it is abiding, right? Boom, boom, boom. Okay, and then those things are the word of God. So you got truth, imperishable, living, abiding, word of God. What is the word of God? Eternal. It, is, it remains forever. That's your flow of thought. All flesh, all glory versus the word of God. You're going to listen to your flesh or you're going to listen to the word of God? You're going to listen to your feelings or you're going to listen to the word of God? You're going to listen to the senses or you're going to listen to the word of God? Are you going to receive blessings from God through your senses or through your intellect? Through, your, through the understanding of the word. Last week we talked about being sober. Being sober. Prepare your minds for action. God will never tell you to be outside of your mind. Never tell you to empty your mind. Never tell you to close your mind. Shut down your mind. Switch to feelings when he is going to give you truth as revelation. Did that make sense? If I'm going to tell you something very important and it's the truth, I'm not going to tell you, shut your brain off, listen to my heart. I'm going to ask you to wake up and listen. Because God reveals truth through your thinking. He uses your mind and your heart. You will never experience God through your senses. And if you think that you're experiencing God through your senses, it is not God you're experiencing. The Word of God is truth and obedience to the truth. You can't obey a feeling. You can obey a, a fact. You can obey a truth. Truth is what purifies your heart. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. So, chapter 2, verse 1. What does it say? Now, what's the first word? So. I wasn't lying. It's right there. Circle it. You think it's not important? Look at you people. It's important. That's why it's on its own. So, when a, so when, when a chapter starts with so, you have to ask, so what? Or why so? Yeah? So you have to go back and find out what he said before, and on the basis of that, you say so. Okay, I got it. Now I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the word. It purifies me. It is eternal. So, do these two things. Number one, verse one. Put away all malice. Circle all. Did you see all before? Did you see all before? All flesh. Circle all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. These are things of the flesh. They're not going to get you anywhere. They're not going to get you anywhere. Okay? Whatever you're envious about won't be the same tomorrow. Whatever you slander, whatever is true, true, true about something, someone now is not going to be true later. Nothing of the flesh stays forever. Put it away. Put it away. Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. You're asking, how do I obey the truth? Here it is. Do it. Do it. Are you envious about anybody right now? Stop it. Are you malicious about anybody in your speech? Stop it. Is there any hypocrisy, any, any, any two-sidedness about your life? Anything that says, you know, you're, you're this one, you're here, you're this over here, and something else over there, or your cover-up, 
or you're showing not the truth. Hypocrisy. Stop it. Slander. Stop it. Okay. Number two, the second thing he says, apart from that, is like newborn babes. Stop. Like newborn babes. He's talking about babies, newborn infants. That's the old King James Version on babes. And I don't use the word babes anymore because that's... <laughs> I don't know who's looking at whom, you know, when I say babes. I, nobody goes for the crash anymore. Well, some do. But anyway... Uh, like newborn infants. What is typical about newborn babies? What is just very typical? Annoying? Always hungry. Sorry, I, I, I just, that, that was my opinion. <laughs> That's why I had only one. <laughs> Always hungry. Always hungry. The babies come, sorry, you said something? Crying. And why are they crying? Because they want milk, they want attention, they are completely dependent. They are completely dependent. So we give them milk. Milk is protein broken down. Because if you give them, you know, anything solid, I can't say that on camera, but you know, if they give them anything solid on camera, they can't chew. Older people, mature people chew. You know what that means. Study for yourself. But we give babies milk. And why do we give babies milk? And what do they, why do they hunger for milk? That's their food. They are earthly. They are earthly. They are babies, so they want milk. Milk is protein broken down for babies for their nourishment. They are hungry to grow. They are hungry to grow. Add the word spiritual to it over here. So you have spiritual babies want spiritual milk in order to grow. Spiritual babies are hungry for growth. They will cry with that annoying shriek of a cry until everyone in the house runs around in circles and gets that bottle into their mouth and peace be still. We can all breathe again. Until maybe 15 minutes later. I had suggested to my wife that we get a drip. And just, but that idea didn't stick. Like many of my ideas, it didn't stick. Like newborn infants that's how they are that's what they want that's how they crave they long for that's the hunger there the pure underline spiritual underline milk underline got that they ask they want they hunger for the pure spiritual milk what is pure that which is in obedience to god's word what is spiritual that is not of the flesh they have a appetite for spiritual things they have an appetite for spiritual things. And what is going to grow, listen very carefully, what is going to grow this appetite for spiritual things? The Word. The Word. Spiritual milk becomes spiritual meat when the baby can break it down for itself. Two things. Number one, put away all malice, all deceit, all, all everything. And then the second thing is like newborn babes, newborn infants long for the spiritual pure milk, pure spiritual. That, by it, what is it? The milk. That by it, you may grow up into salvation. Long for that milk. Desire for that milk. Ask yourself this morning, do I have a hunger for the word? Do I have a hunger to open the word and read it? Do I have a hunger to listen to sermons, listen to the word being explained to me? Do I have a hunger for the word? I don't have a hunger for the word. If I don't have a hunger for the words, there's two answers. Either I'm spiritually dead or I've never been born again. 
Either I'm spiritually dead or I've never been born again. Why? Because if I've been born again, I'm a baby. If I'm a baby, spiritual baby, I will have an appetite for, you don't have to teach a baby to have an appetite. You do not have to teach a baby. So you don't teach new believers, come on, love the word. Love, come to Bible study. Come to the thing. Uh, read the word. You know, listen to my devotions. You don't have to beg people to do that. You will never have to beg a hungry person to eat. Right? So that is a deeper problem. There's a deeper problem. You have to go back to the salvation part. That by it, you may grow up into salvation. So you are born into the family, but you need to grow up into the family because 20 years later, the same baby is still crying for the same milk. God bless us all. Okay, Got it? Are you with me? Everyone's with me? All right. Moving on. So two things he asks us to do following the so. Number one, put away everything. And number one, number two, put on. Put on. That is look for... Uh, long for the pure, pure spiritual myth that by it you may grow up into all salvation. Circle salvation and connected to born again. So you know where that's coming from. Circle salvation and connected to born again. If indeed you, haven't, you have tasted, the Lord is good. Grow up, grow up, grow up, grow up, mature, mature, grow up. Drink, drink, eat, eat, and grow up. Why? Why, Lord? Why do you want me to be mature? Why are you so keen that I grow? Why should I be more mature this week than I was last week? Because life's not going to get any tougher. Sorry, life's not going to get any easier. Excuse me. Life's not going to get any easier. Only you need to get tougher. You need to get tougher. So if you keep praying and your prayer life and your spiritual life is all about believing how God can take away all your troubles and take away all your anxiety and take away all your pain and everything, you're asking for the wrong things because you're on the wrong planet. You're on the wrong planet. This life, in this life, Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. But what did he ask you not to worry about? Do not worry, for I have overcome the world. He is the victor. He is the one, the victor's crown. He is the victor. You don't worry about the tribulations because I have overcome the world. Yes, because he wants a bath here. I am the one going through the difficult times and you won it. How is that supposed to help me? Well, if I've been through the difficult time and if I've conquered the world, I can carry you through. There's nothing that's new to you that's new for me. There's nothing that's overwhelming for you that's overwhelming for me. If I've got you, I've got you. Is that encouraging enough? Let's move on. So, as you, uh, 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 you ask the question, why, why should I be mature? Why should I grow up? Because of this. Answers in verse 4 onwards. Because God has a plan. God wants to use you. God wants to do something powerful through you. God is doing something before you are born and after you go back to heaven. Uh, you go to heaven. God is doing something. This is what he's doing. Verse 4. As you come to him. What is the tense? Yes. As you come to him. A living stone. Come on English people. A living stone. One stone. And what do you know about this stone? It is living. I'm not a deep person. I failed an A standard. You guys got to stay, keep it simple with me. Okay? Keep it simple. God is using me because. Dakan, I mean, God is using me to teach you because I will just tell you what he's saying. 
I will not add anything to it. You can trust me on this one. All right, coming back to that later. As you come to him, a living stone, him is a stone. The stone is a him. Him is a stone and the stone is a him. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. All right. As you come to him, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, circle chosen, circle precious. Circle chosen, circle precious. So there is a stone and God is doing something with this one stone. This stone is precious to God and valuable to God. However, this stone has been rejected by men. So those who accept this stone will be built by it. Listen very carefully. Those who accept the stone will be built by it. Those who reject the stone, that stone is going to turn into a rock of offense. It's going to turn into a rock of offense. Here's what he's saying. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, get your English into gear, like living stones living stones are being built up as a spiritual house as you come to him the living stone let me explain something let me explain something to you god is beginning with this one a stone one stone and all of you like living stones are coming towards him now, the ancient architect will get excited about this because he, he's beginning to see the plan coming together. Because the stone in the middle over there, that rock, is the asymmetrical measure for all the other pillars, walls, and design of the building. The rest of the building is going to align itself and design itself in regard to the stone to the center stone. So first you put a stone right in the middle and it's a rock that not only is able to hold the main pillar up, but it's what is going to give symmetry to the rest of the pillar. This is the cornerstone. It confused me because when I said cornerstone, I always thought that it was in the corner. But now I understand that this stone is the measure by which we find the corners. We know how far the corners are from this stone. This is what gives symmetry to the rest of the building. And all of you stones, living stones, are all moving in the direction and you're seeing a building coming together. You've got that stone, a living stone, and all the others like living stones are coming together. And as they come closer and closer to him, God is building up a spiritual house. Did you see the word spiritual anywhere before? Spiritual milk grows the living stone that comes toward Jesus to make a living, a spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house. Why? Why should you mature? Why should you grow in the word? Why should the Bible not, the biblical literacy and knowledge of the word, not be an option for you? Here's the reason why. Because we don't want immature, weak, spineless priests in the house, the spiritual house that God is making. Two things he wants out of this. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up. You are being built up into a spiritual house to do two things. Number one, to be a holy priesthood. There it is. To be a holy priesthood. And number two, to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's the third time the word spiritual has showed up. 
You're doing some serious Bible study this morning. Right? First spiritual? Milk. Two spiritual? Third spiritual? There you go. So you are mature. Out of your maturity, God builds a mature house. And when the house is mature, you have sacrifices, true sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices that are performed in this temple, this new temple that God is building. Stop. Ask, who is Peter speaking to? Jews. <laughs> so you're sitting here, yes, yes, I am the temple of the living God. Oh, what a wonderful thought. Yeah, yeah you, you, you know this. This is, this is from VBS days, you know this. But you know what? For the Jew who's listening to this, who has accepted Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord and Savior, he's like, what? What? My brother Solomon, the cousin, he built this temple. It took him 13 years. He built this temple. And he put all of his best into this temple and brought from all around the very best of the world and he built the temple and the Shekinah glory came down on this temple and we had the, the, the outer part and the inner part and the holiest of holies and then you got uh, uh, the mercy seat and then you got Aaron's rod and you got the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant that was a what all the way back and that was the temple and the priests and the Lev Levites they offered sacrifices and you're telling me that I am now a temple no 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 let me tell you the temple is where the presence of God is Yes, Peter says, you're the temple. No, no, no. The presence is where the mercy seat is, where judgment of God is shown, showing mercy on earth. No, yeah, you, you, you are that. No, no, no. The temple is where the whole world, people come to that temple to find God. Yeah, it's you. Yeah, it's you. No, 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 no. There's, there's the outer part, then there's the inner part, then there's the holiest of holies. Yeah, you. But God resides, His Shekinah glory is going to come down in the temple and reside. Yes, the Holy Spirit came down and He lives in you. You are the temple of the living God. Oh, what a wonderful thought. So for the Jew to wrap his brains around this truth was far more significant than it is for you this morning. And he's thinking, so there's a new temple? That old temple? And now you're saying we are to be a holy priesthood? But I'm not a priest. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of, of you know, uh, Manasseh, Ephraim. No, no, no. Everyone's going to be a priest now. You're going to be a priest. You're going to be a priest. You're going to be a priest. Everyone's going to be a priest. But what do priests do? Priests bring people closer to God. Priests offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. Priests open up the temple and allow worship to happen. In the priests connect people to God, priest. New temple? Yeah, what's going to happen to the old temple? I don't need that anymore. That's the flesh. This is the spirit. Because this is a spiritual house. This is a spiritual house. So I need you to do two things. To be a holy priesthood. To be a holy, not to do a holy priesthood. Because you do from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. But you be 24 Seven. God's calling you to be a holy priesthood. Number two, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Spiritual sacrifices. I know what a sacrifice is, and I know what spiritual is, but I don't know what spiritual sacrifice is. If I give money, would that be a spiritual? No, that's a physical sacrifice. If I give time, is that no? That's a that's a physical sacrifice. If I give my energy and I help with lifting something, no, that's a physical sacrifice. Hey, what's left? What is a spiritual sacrifice? Complete the sentence. A spiritual sacrifice is something that you present to God through 
Jesus. Through Jesus. What does that mean? That's another sermon in itself on ministry. We'll get back to that. But you keep thinking about that. So, for you yourselves are living stones being built up along with the others towards Jesus. And as you move towards Christ, God is building the spiritual house. Listen very carefully. This is going to hurt. As you move towards, as you come to the living stone, you are built up by the word, the living word, as you long for the spiritual milk. And as you're built up and everybody's being built up because we're all focusing on maturity, we come together and God sees his vision come about. He makes the spiritual house. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that every believer, every follower of Christ, everyone who claims to be a Christian and is not growing is messing up God's project. And the rest of us are all affected by your personal desire to take a break from growing in Christ. When you are not serious about your personal growth, your personal maturity, we are all affected and God's whole plan comes to a standstill. You don't just come to church. You are the church. You are the building. You are living. You are what we are depending on. You are not a side project. You are not on your own. You all carry on, carry on. I'll come whenever I can. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Your personal growth and your commitment to your personal growth affects the growth of the entire body of Christ and what God is trying to do with the whole body of Christ. And what does he want? To be a spiritual priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable good. I'm almost finished. Give me three, three, more, three more minutes. So he goes back to the Old Testament. And remember, he's talking to Jews. So he goes back to the Old Testament to slam jam a little better here. Verse 6. For it says in scripture, or it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion. Remember, he's talking to a Jew. If he says that to you, it'll be made like Zion. What is that? Is that like a zoo or whatever? He's talking to a Jew, Jew, and he knows exactly. I'm laying in Zion. What is Zion? The hill of worship. You know that. I'm laying in Zion, a cornerstone. What did he tell you? He told you, living stone. What is he telling them? A cornerstone. They know exactly what a cornerstone is. They know exactly what a cornerstone is. It's what the whole building rests on. Right? Behold, I'm laying in Zion a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever, go slow, believes in him. Him is a stone, stone is a him. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So if your faith is in the cornerstone, the cornerstone becomes, the stone becomes the cornerstone for you, for your life, for your mission, you're part of what God is doing. You are in, all right? But if you don't believe, if you don't believe, so this honor is for those who do believe, but if you don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, array. didn't he just say that? Didn't he just say that? How did the cornerstone, which is a good thing two minutes ago, become a cornerstone, which is a bad thing two minutes later? Because the same stone that holds the building up, remember Samson? He pushed, he stood in the middle between the two, pushed it down. And the whole building came, come on, come on, if I push this one pillar down, the whole building is not going to come down. So you get the architecture? The entire building is resting on this. God's plan is resting on this. So what God is trying to do is heavily dependent on you believing. 
I repeat, what God is wanting to do is heavily dependent on you believing. God's will is at stake based on your believing. And for those who believe, they will not be ashamed. They will not be ashamed. The honor is for those who believe. But for those who don't believe, the cornerstone, verse 8, will become a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Oh, that's pretty harsh words uh, from scripture. Explain that to me. Well, it's explained right here. They stumble. Remember it says a stumbling stone? They stumble because what? Because they disobey the word. What is the other word for word? Truth. Yep. Truth. Imperishable. Living. Abiding. Word of God remains forever. Remember that? That word, you purified your heart because you obeyed. These people, the cornerstone is going to become a stumbling block for them. It's going to, they're going to trip over it. The whole thing is going to fall apart because they disobeyed the truth. They disobeyed the truth. They didn't face the truth. All right. But he's not talking. He just kind of sidely mentions them, comes back to these people and says, but you... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people of, our, of his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies. That you may proclaim the excellencies. That you may be a people of praise. That you may be a people of song, of an anthem of praise. What should I praise about? What should I declare? What, should I, what excellencies should I talk about? Of how he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light marvelous light that's incredible when do you need to highlight light when do you need to highlight light you don't need an adjective or anything for light you know an adverb or whatever you call it for light marvelous light from out of darkness into his marvelous light so what are we singing about the salvation god has given to us what are we living for the salvation god has given us. what are we declaring to everybody the salvation that god has declared for us that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light once upon a time you were not a people remember he's talking to the jews you were not a people but now you are god's people once upon a time you would not receive mercy but now you have received mercy verse 11 beloved i urge you as you go through life as you go through nations on your way to the promised land i urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh you remember the flesh all flesh is like grass. Abstain from it. Why? Because it wars. Read it. It wars with your soul. What is the soul? That which you're trying to purify by obedience to the truth. This is some heavy teaching in the middle of the day. But you're getting it, right? I mean, you handle PhDs and all that during the week. This is where you're coming from. This is where you're going. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's why I say he's not talking to us. To abstain from the passions of flesh, but war against the soul. Keep your conduct. The second thing he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Circle when. Circle when. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. As you walk on this earth, as you walk among those who don't believe, keep your conduct honorable. Why? So that when, not if, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your praise and worship. They may see your Sunday services. They may see your incredibly chiseled, good-looking pastor. 
when they see your what? Good works and glorify God. Good deeds. When they see you, they will have to zip it because your life speaks for itself. He's growing a, a, a house of praise, but it's a work of ministry because your praise is useless without your ministry. God has not called us to worship Him. He's called us to tell people about His excellencies. Did you get that? God has not called us to tell Him about how excellent He is. You know? <laughs> You tell God how excellent he is, you're like, yeah, I know. You go tell others. That's the point of telling him, right? You know, when I tell some of you, you know, you're so, so, you're so beautiful, you're like, I know. You know that, like that? <laughs> anyway, so that's the end of that chapter. What a beautiful thing. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles pure. Good deeds. Yesterday I was watching a video, horrific video. Now and then Facebook... Now, because of Facebook, you see everything and, and people share it like all over the place. There was a pastor, I don't know if he's a real pastor or what, but uh, he was being beaten up really badly, really badly. Okay, and he was tied to a tree and a couple of guys were beating the, beating the life out of him. And, with, like, and they were smashing him. It was, it was a Punjabi guy because the whole language was in Punjabi. He was speaking Punjabi, the guys were speaking Punjabi. And they were beating him up. He was bleeding from head to toe and all that, and they were thrashing him and talking to him. And they kept saying, sarcastically, pastor honge, pastor banega, pastor, aaj to sab pastor hai, sab, sab pastor ban gaya, sab pastor. And in Punjabi, he was going on and about that. I was listening to that, I'm like, okay. And I was feeling bad for it, I was internalizing the whole thing, I was preparing my heart and mind for my own persecution for when it does come, if God ever finds me uh, uh, worthy of persecution. So, I was thinking about all of that. I was thinking about my family and things like that. And then in the middle of all that, this guy says, Are kuch changa to kalo bich mein. The whole thing was in Punjabi, but basically he used the word kuch changa kalo. Does anybody know what that word means? It means good. It means good works. He's saying, pastor to ban gaya. Now everybody's a pastor. Why? Because some money is coming from somewhere, right? That's what he's implying. But do some good and maybe we'll believe. My brothers and sisters, the time has come to shut up to stop talking big and to stop hailing our faith and everybody's this thing and talking theology. The time has come to do. The time has come to get busy and to serve our community so that they will see your good deeds. And when they see your good deeds, they, even if they speak ill of you, will not be able to mark you. Are you involved in ministry? Are you involved in service? P is for planting churches and promoting reconciliation. Are you involved? Is that your gift? Are you involved in kind of advocacy? Helping people have a voice? Not just Rohingyas. Everybody wants to do the Rohingyas. Absolutely, by all means. What about the others? Are there other, other needs? People who aren't spoken for? P is for, P is for promote reconciliation or peace. E is for equip servant leaders. Is anybody wanting to get involved with helping people see leadership principles from the scriptures and act justly in their workplace? Because every assistant manager, manager, everybody is a leader, right? And when you act on kingdom principles, you bring the wisdom of God into your workplace. You bring the wisdom of God. So do you want to get involved with that? Or A is for assisting the poor. Can some of you get together, those who love that, love the A in peace, and say, come on, let's have a project. Let's have a project of going to a slum, pick three families and work with those three families for the next six months to get them out of the slum, out of poverty, out of uh, having no documents, to having documents, having a job, having school uh, for their children and move into a small apartment. 
Can one family help another family move into the, to do that? Good works, good deeds. Not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. Not for your salvation, because of your salvation. A is for assist the poor. C is for care for the sick. How do you care for the sick? By helping a sick person see what that person can do for themselves in order to not get sick again. Got it? Caring for the sick is not having a medical ministry. It's having basic training given to others so that they never get to the spot where they need medical attention. It's going into slums, it's going to villages and helping people to have basic infrastructure, basic skills of healthcare and hygiene so that uh, they never need to get a person to the hospital. They never need, it doesn't even get to that. E is for educate the next generation. Whether, children, whether girl child or, or male child, children are not, they do not have the right to education in our country. What about getting together and saying, you know what, who's stopping me from teaching them? If half of the Western world is saying we'll homeschool, Half of the Western world is saying, no, no, we're going to homeschool because we don't like the value system in the schools. Fine, then why can't we teach three children how to read and write? If you teach three children how to read and write in the next three years, they'll know how to read and write everything because they're really quick. Once they learn to read and write everything, they're going to tell their mom and dad what the rules are and what the instructions are so that their mom and dad don't make stupid decisions. And even if the mom and dad have to come to the children and say, what is he saying? No, we don't want, thank you, sorry. And they don't get conned into anything. They're able to see and read what their rights are. If children learn to read and write, they give more than our elders who are learn how to read and write. And they are able to, uh, our children need to grow up with the, with the confidence that comes from being able to say, yes, I know what you're talking about, I know what my rights are, because they can read and write. P-E-A-C-E. -E. The time has come for you to get up from your spiritual slumber and not just worship without works. James says, show me your works, I'll show you your faith. Show me your works and I'll show you your faith. He says, he says, works go along with faith. So we are not those who just worship and go sing, sing, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus, and all that. We are those who actually want to serve. But are you doing it? Okay, pastor, you, you, you start, pastor, we'll help. No. No, don't you dare. I've already got my ministry. My ministry is send you out. And I just did that. You have to decide... What is your circle of influence? What are the gifts you've given, uh, God has given you? What is, what is your possibilities? What, 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 is, what is your passion? What do you want to do? Some of you are already involved in ministry. Start talking about P-E-A-C-E -E and get on with it. Get on with it. Persecution will come, but when it comes, will they have something decent to say? Will <laughs> they actually have something decent to say? If they talk, persecuted us because we are really sharing the gospel, bad be if they persecute because we're doing great work for, and, and, and empowering the people under them, but if they're persecuting us just because we are threatening a system by connecting to other uh, money, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to go into a time of worship right now, but just two, three songs. But what is God saying to you? Bow your head and respond to the word. Respond to the text. Look at the notes again and say something back to God so that we can worship Him in spirit and in truth.